Psalm 79. Psalm 79, a psalm of Asaph. This is God's inspired and inerrant word. O God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the dead bodies of your servants for food to the birds of the heavens, the flesh of your godly ones to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water round about Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a reproach to our neighbors, a scoffing and derision to those around us. How long, O Lord? Will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath upon the nations which do not know you, and upon the kingdoms which do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember the iniquities of our forefathers against us. Let your compassion come quickly to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us, and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight vengeance for the blood of your servants which has been shed. Let the groaning of the prisoner come before you according to the greatness of your power. Preserve those who are doomed to die and return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom the reproach with which they have reproached you, O Lord. So we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture, pasture will give thanks to you forever. To all generations we will tell of your praise. Revelation chapter nine, uh, 19, verses 1 through 6, roughly is our text, will bleed over a little bit into uh, verse 7 as well, and we'll begin our reading in chapter 18 and verse 20. Verse 20 begins, rejoice over her, and remember uh, the her here is a reference to the great harlot, which we have identified as the city of Jerusalem, apostate Israel. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. Chapter 19, verse 1. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality. 
and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of, a mi- of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Amen. Be seated, please, as we turn to our hymn of preparation, number 150 in the Trinity Hymnal.
Amen. Let's pray. O Lord God Almighty, we pray that you would open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your holy law. That you would unite our hearts to fear your name. That you would incline us, O Lord, toward your testimonies. That you would send out your light, and your truth. Let the Holy Spirit lead us and bring us to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When Jesus gathered his disciples for the last Supper, we're told in the gospel record that before they went out to the Mount of Olives, after the observance of the Passover, they sang a hymn. Jewish tradition called for them to sing the Hallel Psalms from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. The Hebrew imperative hallelujah appears in each of the Hallel Psalms. This word is one of the few that's passed directly from Hebrew into our English use today. Hallelujah combines the verb Hallel, meaning praise, with the name Yah, which is short for Yahweh. Uh, the divine name, the covenant name of God. It's usually rendered in English as praise the Lord. Given this word's influence, it's surprising that it appears in only two books of the Bible. Hallelujah is found 23 times in the Psalms, including the last word of the last line of the final Psalm, Psalm 150. And verse 6, and notably in Psalm 104, 35. But in the New Testament, it occurs only in Revelation 19, where it's used four times in the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word. In George Friedrich. Handel's Messiah, the most recognizable piece is the Hallelujah Chorus. Revelation 19 is the original Hallelujah Chorus. Chapter 9, uh, rather chapter 19, is the response of heaven's multitude to the exhortation of chapter 18 and verse 20 that we read this morning in the context. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. The sights and the sounds of God's wrath poured out upon Jerusalem in this vision bring forth joyful strains of worship 
from the hosts of heaven. And it's an indication of how far removed we are so often from the biblical testimony of God's character that we tend to recoil in horror at the graphic portrayals of God's wrath. But the heavenly saints, this multitude in heaven, sees things differently. The judgment of the great harlot Jerusalem signals Christ's triumph. The destruction of the beast and the false prophet is proof that God is the ultimate victor and ruler. And there's something almost indescribable about heaven's worship as it's depicted in this vision to John. Jesus told John to write what he saw and heard. And in doing so, the apostle has to resort, resort to such comparisons as something like and like four times in verses 1 and 6. There's no language to adequately describe heavenly worship. The fourfold hallelujah here in Revelation 19 is worthy of our consideration for each repetition has something significant to teach us. Psalm 104.35 with its hallelujah captures the theme of our text. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Hallelujah. The first hallelujah praises God for his sovereignty in judging Jerusalem. The second hallelujah praises God for the eternality of Jerusalem's destruction. The third hallelujah amends the praise of the multitude and adds to it the fourth hallelujah praises God for sovereignly uniting Christ to the church. Look at these four hallelujahs, this fourfold hallelujah in the order that we find them here in our text. The first hallelujah we have said praises God for his sovereignty in judging Jerusalem, verses 1 and 2. The phrase after these things in chapter 19, verse 1, refers primarily to the vision of Jerusalem's fall in chapter 18, especially as portrayed in those last verses, verses 20 to 24. After that preceding vision... John hears something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven proclaiming, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. In verse 2, it becomes explicit that God's judgment of Jerusalem in chapter 18 is the reason for this outburst of praise in chapter 19, verse 1. The praise occurs because God's ways in judgment are true and righteous 
true and just. Everything about God's judgment is pure. No evil motive can be imputed to any of God's actions. The second clause in verse 2, for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, expands the meaning of that first phrase. This language looks familiar to us by now. Revelation has often called out apostate Israel for its immorality, for its sensuality, for failing to fulfill its role as a priest to the nations, to pray for the nations and to call the nations, uh, and instead forsaking their own Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. The third clause here, he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her, interprets God's judgment on the great harlot, the great city, Babylon, Jerusalem, apostate Israel, as God's vengeance against them. And while that concept that God will repay with violence those who have done violence against his saints occurs often in Revelation, the verb translated avenge only appears in chapter 6 and verse 10 and 19 too, which links these two verses closely together. No longer at as we saw in chapter 6 and verse 10, must the souls of those that John saw beneath the altar, the souls of those slain for the word of God, cry out, How long, O Lord, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood? At last, in the vision to John, the cry of the martyred saints has been answered. He has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. Justice has been done. And the hallelujah, this first hallelujah, gives praise to God for his righteous, his just judgment upon Jerusalem. Both Revelation 6.10 and 19.2 allude to Psalm 79.10 that we read together this morning. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight vengeance for the blood of your servants which has been shed. The psalmist proclaims that vengeance for the blood of his servants was to be a testimony to the nations. And the allusions to Psalm 79.10 in Revelation means that the church of all ages is included in the servants who cry for vengeance, which in turn means that the cry for God's vengeance rising up today from God's people will be answered. And that gives us warrant. Contrary to what 
many in the church say today who deny that the God of the New Testament is a God of wrath, this gives us warrant to pray these psalms, these imprecatory psalms, uh, to pray after the pattern of the psalms, to ask God uh, to, yes, to convert his enemies, but uh, to bring vengeance upon those who will not bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. It gives us warrant to pray after the pattern of this great multitude in Revelation chapter 19. The heavenly multitude. The souls of saints perfected in heaven. And especially those martyrs whom John sees under the altar. The second hallelujah praises God for the eternality of Jerusalem's destruction. Verse 3. The second hallelujah coming from this heavenly multitude celebrates the perpetual rising of of Babylon's smoke. The image here, if we are understanding the symbols of Revelation, is the smoke that's rising from the city of Jerusalem in its destruction in A.D. 70. The city burned, its gates burned with fire. A city pillaged. A city where great blood was shed. Uh, The temple was destroyed, the smoke rising from Jerusalem. And that occasion for rejoicing, for praising God, may strike our modern ears as especially vindictive, as if the saints' eternal joy is enhanced by eternally witnessing Jerusalem's punishment. But we should remember that this is a reference to Babylon's, uh, that this reference to Babylon's smoke rising forever and ever is yet another Old Testament allusion uh, here uh, as it was in chapter 18 and verse 9 and 18 to Isaiah 34.10, the judgment that was pronounced on Edom for the violence that Eden did against God's people, Israel. Night and day, it will will not be quenched. Its smoke will go up forever from generation to generation. It shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. And in the context of this allusion in Revelation 19.2, Babylon serves as an ongoing testimony to God's zeal for justice on behalf of his persecuted church. The assertion that smoke rises up forever and ever conveys the same message as the millstone cast into the sea in Revelation 18 verse 21. When the day of judgment comes, 
Judgment is final and it will be irreversible and eternal. As we saw in chapter 18 and verse 4, those who don't break from Israel's apostasy will share in her sins and her plagues. Those wishing to be saved must come out of her, that verse in chapter 18 says, both spiritually and geographically, or suffer the fate of her spiritual and physical destruction. So we think about this second hallelujah. This praise to God for the eternality of Jerusalem's destruction. And really, the eternality of the destruction of all the wicked. We must never forget that evil, injustice, immorality, and idolatry will only result in regret. If you don't repent and trust in Jesus Christ, your regret will last forever. The souls of those who have been consigned to hell because they have been judged in accordance with their own unrepentant sins, those who are in hell today are experiencing this regret. And they will experience it forever. We should seal this image of Babylon's smoke rising forever, eternally, irreversibly. We should seal these images of God's justice in our hearts so that when sin tempts us, we see smoke rising from the ruins of Jerusalem. This is a graphic description of what happens to those who reject the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The third hallelujah amends the praise of the multitude and adds to it, verse 4. The 24 elders and the four living creatures blend their expressions of praise with the heavenly multitudes. They fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. Recall that the 24 elders represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, thus encompassing the God's redeemed people of all ages, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in all ages. The four living creatures here are described as cherubim earlier in Revelation's visions, where they are pictured as closest to God's throne. And therefore, the praise of the 24 elders and the four living beings here is representative of the whole church and of all God's created beings. 
Now, we said that hallelujah is one of the few Hebrew words that has passed directly into our language. Another one of those words is amen. This word expresses agreement with God, responding to his truth by saying, yes, it is so. It's an expression of strong affirmation and trust. The elders and the living creatures give their amen to the praise of the multitude that salvation and power and glory belong to God, that his judgments are true and just, and for the eternal testimony of God's zeal for justice on behalf of the persecuted church. Jerusalem's smoke rising up. This is confirmation, once again, that the church of all ages is to raise their hallelujahs to God for the justice of his judgment upon guilty sinners and to give their amen to it. Amen. Hallelujah. That echoes Psalm 106, 48, where the phrase functions as part of Israel's praise to God for gathering to himself, uh, gathering them to himself after delivering the nation from their enemies who oppressed them. So here in Revelation 19.4, amen, hallelujah, is expressed because uh, the believing remnant of Israel are delivered from the sins of apostate Israel and the plagues that are falling upon the great city, Jerusalem, representative of apostate Israel. So the question that confronts us here is, can we give our amen? Can we give our amen to that of the multitude in verse 1, exclaiming, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to God. Can you further give your amen to their praise that his judgments are true and just in verse 2 and for his zeal, for justice, for vengeance upon those who have afflicted his people in verse 3. There are many today who can't. Many today in the church who won't because they don't see that these things any longer ought to be applied in the age of love, the, uh, the imagined church age of love and not wrath in which we live. But if you can add your amen and praise to God for his holy justice and his punishment of sin, it's because you first sought your forgiveness for your own sins by believing in Jesus and by appealing to his death upon the cross as God's full satisfaction for your sin so that God in your case is both just and the justifier of the one who has believed in Jesus Christ. The amen 
of faith motivates Christians to the hallelujah of praise. If you can add your amen, hallelujah, then you should live in gratitude for, to God for His sovereign, glorious, and all-powerful salvation. The fourth hallelujah in verse 5 praises God for sovereignly uniting Christ to the church. Verses 7 and 8 really belong together with verses 1 through 6. And really we could say verses 7 through 10 belong together with verses 1 through 6. And this fourth hallelujah found here in verse 6, I think I said verse 5 earlier, is a response to a voice from the throne in verse 5. We're not told whose voice it is explicitly, if from the throne is understood as from a place close to the throne, the voice could be that one of, uh, one of the 24 elders or one of the four living creatures. But if we compare Revelation 19.5 to chapter 16, verse 1, and 16.17, it seems that this is the voice of Jesus himself from the throne of God, calling upon his brethren to praise our God, calling upon his brethren uh, to praise God, to give their hallelujah. In John 20, verse 17, Jesus says, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And if it's the case that this is the voice of Christ, which seems likely, Revelation 19, verse 5, is a call to worship from Christ himself. Give praise to our God. That this is addressed to the church as a whole is clear from the description of those who are called to worship. His servants, you who fear him, the great and the small. So the fourth hallelujah in, here in Revelation 19 uh, then is, is a response of the entire church to Christ's call to worship with a voice that's even louder than that of the great multitude of verse 1. The voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That first hallelujah of the great multitude 
praises God for his sovereignty as shown in his great salvation in the judgment of Jerusalem. The fourth hallelujah praises God again for his sovereignty, this time as shown in the marriage of the Lamb to his bride. We'll expound on the marriage supper of the Lamb when we consider verses 7 to 10 next time, Lord willing. But for now, two things by way of final application. In the first place, you ought to reflect on the nature of your praise to God. We often praise God for what he's done for us, for what he's done in our salvation. And that's good and right. We ought to praise God for all that he does for us. We ought to praise him especially for the great salvation that he's wrought in us through the Lord Jesus Christ. But here in Revelation 19, the praise that the heavenly multitude offers to God is centered on who God is and what God has done entirely apart from the circumstances of our individual lives. The fact that his judgments are righteous and true, the fact that he has judged the great harlot, and the fact that he reigns over all. So while there's nothing wrong, of course, with praising God for what he's done in our lives, always a good thing to acknowledge his faithfulness, his providential mercies toward us. How often do we step back and simply praise God for who he is and what he's done in the wider context of his creation. What he's done simply for the glory of his name. How can we learn to give God praise like that? You learn to pray according to the Psalms. And you'll learn to give praise to God for who he is to the greater glory of his name. So first, reflect on the nature of your praise to God. Second, reflect on your thoughts about God's judgment. Reflect upon your reaction to these calls for worship, for rejoicing over God's judgment, over his justice, over his vengeance on behalf of his suffering people. And if your thoughts about God's judgment and wrath wrath differ from what you see expressed in uh, not only here in Revelation 19, 1-6, but in the whole of scriptures, this passage calls for you to ask how worldliness, how worldly ideas have shaped your thoughts 
concerning sin, God's holiness, salvation, and judgment. When you think about people who will suffer God's eternal wrath, especially loved ones, family members, friends, who will suffer eternal torment, you ought not resent the holy justice of God, but rather the evil of sin. And you ought to acknowledge that those who will be judged for their sin deserve such judgment. Of course, we deserve such judgment apart from salvation through Jesus Christ. The reason that the heavenly multitude can, is so free in their hallelujahs to God for his true and just judgments, the reason they can praise God for his vengeance upon apostate Israel is that they have been free from any worldly influence in the perfection of their souls. And one day we will be. But this perspective is to color us now. It's to color our understanding of sin and vengeance and judgment and judgment that uh, comes from a holy God in whom there is no impurity. All is true. All is right. All is just. The Bible doesn't compromise on the truth of God's righteous wrath on the wicked and neither should you. Especially Christians ought not compromise. Instead, Christians should resolve to speak more boldly of the salvation that this same God so lovingly offers to the world through the blood of His Son. And if you're listening to this sermon and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the most urgent matter in your life is to consider your own peril and the eternal judgment of, that God will bring upon you because of your sin. That's the great need, the greatest need of, of every human being. To be delivered from God's righteous, holy, and glorious wrath by embracing God's gracious provision of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And that, dear Christians, for us, is a reason to praise God. Hallelujah. Our great and 
mighty God, the one who is true and just in all his ways, God of judgment, God of wrath, God of vengeance, shine forth, O Lord. And bring your wrath upon those who will not bow the knee. We pray, O Lord, for those who refuse to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. We pray that you would be pleased, O Father, to bring your enemies to yourself, even as you brought us, once your enemies, to saving faith in Jesus Christ, uh, that you would bring all those who rebel against you. But, O Lord, if it does not please you to do so, then bring vengeance upon them, O Lord. Pay them back double for their wicked deeds. And avenge the blood of your righteous saints upon them. We ask, O God, that you would grant to us a right perspective on the praise that you rightly deserve, that you would grant that we would, that our prayers would be full of hallelujahs to you for who you are and what you've done in all of your creation and not simply for what you've done in us and for us in our individual lives, in our daily lives. You enable us to step back and give you praise for what you've done for the glory of your name. We ask, O oh God, that you would, if our perspective differs from the biblical perspective that we find here in Revelation 19, as well as throughout the scriptures, and especially in the Psalms, we pray that you would change our perspective and that you would enable us to offer to you praise even for your wrath and your judgment, that we would not resent the justice of our holy God, but would give our hallelujahs, that we would join our hallelujahs with the heavenly saints in the church of all ages, that these would blend together to give you honor and glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.